The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's Monday, May 30th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, scientists accidentally created super aggressive mutant hamsters. Meanwhile, other scientists have devised a method for pulling drinking water out of thin air with a super affordable thin gel. Different strokes for different folks. And tonight's possible meteor storm, which could produce thousands of shooting stars an hour. Or not. It could be nothing. Why that is and how to watch just in case. Here is some cool stuff for your ride home. It's almost like something out of a horror movie. Scientists using gene editing technology attempted to make friendlier, cuddlier hamsters, but instead accidentally turned them into maniacal rage machines. Quoting Science Daily, A team of Georgia State University researchers used CRISPR-Cas9 technology to eliminate the actions of a neurochemical signaling pathway that plays a critical role in regulating social behaviors in mammals. Vasopressin and the receptor that it acts on, called AVPR1A, regulates social phenomena ranging from pair bonding, cooperation, and social communication to dominance and aggression. The new study, published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences finds that knocking out the AVPR1A receptor in hamsters, and thus effectively eliminating vasopressin's action on it, dramatically altered the expression of social behavior in unexpected ways. End quote. What the researchers thought would happen is that removing the vasopressin would reduce aggression and social communication. But instead, they both increased. The hamsters without the receptor became more sociable and more aggressive, with typical sex assignment-based differences in aggression being eliminated. Male and female hamsters showed higher levels of aggression to other hamsters of the same sex. Now, no word yet if the increased aggression led to a commensurate increase in ninja skills or how much the increased sociability was marked by the use of cowabunga. Study co-lead Elliot Albers said, quote, We were really surprised at the results. This suggests a startling conclusion. Even though we know that vasopressin increases social behaviors by acting within a number of brain regions, it's possible that the more global effects of the AVPR1A receptor are inhibitory. We don't understand this system as well as we thought we did. The counterintuitive findings tell us we need to start thinking about the actions of these receptors across entire circuits of the brain and not just in specific brain regions, end quote. Which 
Yes, as IFL Science put it, quote, the findings suggest we need to start thinking on a wider scale when considering genetic editing, even when the expected effects are thought to be relatively small, end quote. You know, I know there is a lot that we know about brains, but there is also so much that we don't. I mean, that's the entire point of studies like this, is that we don't know that much about brains, so we do have to proceed cautiously and think expansively about potential outcomes. Which, to be fair, most scientists working in this field are aware of. That's part of why this particular type of hamster is being used in these studies. Syrian hamsters were the first species in which vasopressin was demonstrated to influence sociability. And hamsters in general are a useful analog for humans because their social organization and stress response is much closer to ours than that of mice, according to Science Daily. They also apparently get a lot of the same cancers as humans and are susceptible to COVID-19. Poor hamsters. They're unlikely to catch a break anytime soon, however, due to how similar they are to us humans. And Albers reemphasized the reason for exploring these gene editing possibilities in the first place is because understanding how vasopressin works with regards to behavior is necessary to help identify new and more effective treatment for a myriad of neuropsychiatric disorders. So great things could come eventually that would help a lot of people. But on the way there, we might get a whole new generation of teenage mutant ninja hamsters. Water scarcity is a growing problem, in part because water demand is ever ballooning. Here are some sobering stats from BBC Future. Of the pretty constant 70% of our planet's surface that's water, quote, 97.5% is seawater unfit for human consumption. And both populations and temperatures are ever rising, meaning the fresh water we do have is under severe pressure. Water demand globally is projected to increase by 55% between 2000 and 2050. Much of the demand is driven by agriculture, which accounts for 70% of global freshwater use, and food production will need to grow by 69% by 2035 to feed the growing population. Water withdrawal for energy, used for cooling power stations, is also expected to increase by over 20%. In other words, the near future presents one big freshwater drain after the next. End quote. So loads of scientists around the world have been working at ways to solve this crisis from all angles. And one intriguing new development comes from researchers at the University of Texas at Austin, who've created a low-cost gel film that can pull fresh water out of thin air, even relatively dry air. Quoting New Atlas, in tests, the gel film was able to wring an astonishing amount of water out of the air. At a relative humidity of 30%, it could produce 13 liters of water per day per kilogram of gel. And even when the humidity dropped to just 15%, which is low even for desert air, it could still produce more than 6 liters a day per kilogram. End quote. Side note here, I'm not surprised that scientists living in Austin, Texas, decided to experiment with pulling water out of the air. I often referred to summer days there as walking through soup because it was boiling hot and the air was so wet. It's not the most humid place in the country, but combined with those hot temperatures, oof. 
Anyways, a little bit more on how the gel was made, quoting Gizmodo. The researchers made the gel from a derivative of the compound cellulose, which is found in all plant cells, a specific fiber extracted from an edible tuber known as konjac, and absorbent lithium chloride salt. The liquid materials were mixed, poured into a mold, left to set for two minutes, and then freeze-dried into a thin sheet. All the materials needed to make one kilogram of the dried gel would cost under $2, according to the study. Once set and dried, the thin gel sheets became saturated with moisture in about 20 minutes. To extract that water as actual drinkable liquid, the researchers then heated the gel in a closed chamber and collected the condensation. They found that about 70% of the captured water was released within 10 minutes of heating the gel at 140 degrees Fahrenheit. End quote. Now, in addition to being cheap, the materials and method for making it were intentionally kept as basic as possible so anyone could easily make it, according to co-author and chemical engineer Johan Gohl. Now, that ease and affordability will be key, because this is, of course, not the first ever project to attempt pulling water out of the air. Two years ago, I told you about Zero Mass Water, now called Source Global, a company that makes hydro panels, which look and function similarly to solar panels. The panels are powered by the sun to extract clean drinking water from the air, which is then collected in a reservoir, which can be delivered directly to a tap. The source has already installed hydro panels at sites around the world, and the latest stat that I found said that each source hydro panel can make up to 3 to 5 liters of water a day and store 30 liters in the reservoir. Now compare that to the 6 to 13 liters this new gel can produce, and it doesn't sound like much, but Source is already way ahead of the game with a product that has already gone to market and that reservoir technology for overcast days. Now, in addition to companies doing similar drinking water extraction, Gizmodo points out that the technology for pulling water from the air has been around for a while. You know, think about those silica packets that come inside some products to reduce moisture. But this new gel is different. Quoting again from Gizmodo, For one, it both absorbs water very efficiently and lets go of it relatively easily. Those same silica packets have to be heated to 180 degrees Fahrenheit before they release water, and other desiccants need even higher temperatures. It's also non-toxic and doesn't add harmful chemicals to the collected water. And finally, unlike some materials, the gel doesn't seem to degrade with repeated use, reported the scientists. End quote. Still, it's early days, and there's a lot of questions around scalability and making the exact configuration of the gel accessible while still being effective, all questions the team is hoping to continue exploring with subsequent research. If you're listening to this on Monday, the day that it is released, maybe try looking up at the sky tonight for a possible meteor storm. That's right, storm, not shower. As many as a thousand shooting stars per hour. Now, importantly, it might not happen. Or it might be too cloudy to see. Bill Cook from NASA's Meteoroid Environment Office called it, quote, an all-or-nothing event, end quote. But if it does happen, it will look awesome. And either way, the reason for its possible occurrence is pretty interesting. So the parent comet for this potentially newly visible meteor shower, Tau Herculid, is schwassmann wachmann 3 or SW3, which was discovered back in 1930. Quoting Space.com, 
Even though Comet SW3 orbits the Sun about every 5.4 years, after 1930, it was missing in action for quite a while. In fact, between 1935 and 1974, SW3 came and went eight times without being sighted. It was not seen again until March 1979. Its next return, in January 1985, was missed, but it was recovered again in early 1990. Astronomers expected Comet SW3 to make another uneventful return in the fall of 1995, but during early October, the Central Bureau for Astronomical Telegrams suddenly began receiving numerous reports from observers worldwide of independent discoveries of a naked-eye comet, low in the western evening twilight and sporting a dust tail one degree long. But this wasn't a new comet at all. It was SW3. This was astonishing, because the comet never came closer to Earth in 1995 than 122 million miles, and by all rights, it should have been visible only with moderately large telescopes. And yet there it was, shining 6.5 magnitudes brighter than anticipated, a nearly 400-fold increase in brightness. As for what caused this tremendous outburst, observations in December of SW3 made at the European Southern Observatory revealed that its tiny nucleus had fractured into four parts. End quote. The comet returned again in 2000, 2006, 2011, and 2017, each time having broken up into more and more fragments, over 70 pieces at this point at least. Now, we don't know exactly what caused SW3 to fragment so much, but one theory is that it flew too many times too close to the sun, and just to get one up on Icarus, too close to the gravitational pull of Jupiter as well. However it happened, this amazing amount of debris has the potential to create a pretty spectacular show. NASA is being cautious with their estimates, saying that we might see a few meteors at most, possibly none, but some meteor watchers say it could be in the tens of thousands per hour. So, pretty big range of estimates there, but if those meteor watchers are right, Tau Herculid tonight could be the biggest meteor shower in recorded history. I would temper your expectations, though, and maybe lean towards NASA's predictions. What's for certain is it will be quick. While some estimates are saying there could still be stray meteors visible Tuesday night, the real show will be tonight, Monday the 30th, peaking around 10 p.m. Pacific or 1 a.m. Eastern. The contiguous U.S., Mexico, South Central, and Eastern Canada, Central and South America, and a bit of West Africa will get the best view of the show, and given it's a new moon tonight, visibility should be pretty good, so long as you're away from light pollution and cloud cover. And that is particularly important this go-around. As Space.com explains, quote, The particles will encounter the Earth at a very low velocity of just 10 miles per second. That's almost as slow as it is possible to hit the Earth from an orbit around the Sun. The faster a meteoroid of a given size travels, the brighter it will be, which means that the particles from SW3 will likely produce very faint meteors, and only the biggest pieces will produce outstandingly bright shooting stars. But given the nature of the fragmentation of SW3's nucleus, it's possible that there are plenty of larger bits and pieces among the small ones, so we can't rule out there being lots of spectacular, slow-moving fireballs as part of the shower display. End quote. And if you aren't in a place with good visibility or just appreciate your sleep and want to watch it back later, the Virtual Telescope Project will be live streaming the shower starting at midnight Eastern tonight. Link to tune in is in the show notes. 
All right, well, this is so niche that I don't know if anyone else will care besides me, but it also pairs so well with this week's sponsor that I just had to mention it. So XTR, the documentary studio behind a ton of award-winning films, including the new Apple TV Magic Johnson doc and my personal favorite, Feels Good Man, has just announced a new documentary all about the business of musician and entertainment merchandise. From the very first concert TV t-shirt made by Elvis Presley's team to the juggernaut the industry is today, the aptly titled Merch will show audiences how we got to this point where many musicians depend on these sales and what it actually looks like behind the scenes. The movie is directed by Brian Ferrano, whose father and uncle, Dave and Dell, were merchandise moguls back in the day. Ferrano grew up backstage at concerts, assisting with the family business, so he brings a really interesting perspective to the story. And merch is also co-produced by Ryan Gall, the co-founder of the Global Citizen Festival. I always love a movie that takes you behind the scenes on something that you may never even have thought to question before, but which quietly has a whole world and deep history behind it. No release date or distribution plans have been announced just yet, so look out for more info eventually. And that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.